Well, good morning. It's good to see you all today. We are moving along in our series on the church, and this is the third in the series. There will be uh, one more coming next week, and then we will transition and begin a book study that we will not rush through by any means. We're going to be starting the book of Romans in uh, February, and um, I'm not even going to set an end date on that because that might just be foolish or it might be discouraging to you or possibly to me, I don't know. But uh, for now, we are working on this uh, series on the church, and, and today we're going to be talking about what is the role of the church. Our text today is a very uh, famous one. It's one you know, you probably have memorized. It's in Matthew chapter 28. It's known as the Great Commission. And of course, these are the concluding words of Jesus in uh, the Gospel of Matthew. And so uh, this is the last thing that he says that Matthew records to the disciples. And so it's very well known. It's a, it's a, a verse that's familiar to all of us. And, uh, and it's his last message to the church in this book. And so it carries with it a lot of weight. It has a lot of significance. And so as we're talking about the church, this passage will be particularly significant. So again, this is the, uh, the risen Christ who is speaking to his disciples. And he has gone through the crucifixion. He has been buried and he has been raised from the dead. And now he's speaking with them. And this is going to be the last thing that he says. So I'm going to read uh, in Matthew chapter 28, just verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we rejoice that we get to read the words of Christ. We rejoice that we get to do so together in this environment. We have a time set aside out of our week to come together and worship you in all the ways that we do. And so we rejoice that we have that opportunity. And we rejoice most of all for the fact that this is the risen Christ speaking. That Jesus stood in our place, hung in our place on that cross, where we should have been by rights because of our sin. And he hung there so that we wouldn't have to. He died that death that we might have life. And so we rejoice in Jesus. We rejoice that these are the words of the risen Christ. That death uh, could not hold him down. Death was not uh, sovereign over him, but instead he conquered death. He defeated death. And, and, uh, and here he is, alive, risen, glorious, and speaking to us. So, Father, we rejoice that we don't we don't serve a, uh, an element of history, a person who walked at one time and no longer exists. We serve a risen Savior. And we get to serve that risen Savior because of what He's done for us. So even this morning as we come to this text, if 
Father, I pray that you would help us, that you by your spirit would work within us, that we would listen to what you have for us from this text, that we would hear those words from Jesus, that we would understand them, that we would make them our own, that we would walk in accordance with them. So be glorified in this time. Speak to us. May your Holy Spirit uh, be addressing us in our secret hearts about the things that we need to hear from you. Teach us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. The Biblical Leadership Training Center, the BLTC, was established in the city of Krasnodar, Russia, in about 2000. And it was established because of, it was established there because of its proximity to the Caucasus Mountains. And in the Caucasus Mountains, which are high and steep, there live numerous different ethnic groups with their own different languages, their own different nations, as it were. And so you have pockets of different language groups, uh, even with different religions. They're ethnically different. They look different. They sound different. Sometimes they're at enmity with one another. You have a pile of nations right in those mountains there. And some missionaries got together, and the, these missionaries understood that they had been called to reach the nations. And, of course, that means the nations on the map also, the nations that we uh, can, can list the political entities in the world, but also nations as in these remote people groups. The, these disciples realized that they had been called to go and make disciples of those nations. They were, after all, missionaries, and so Christ had called them to do this thing, and they were going to step out in obedience, and they saw the best way to reach this people, uh, this, these numerous people groups within the Caucasus Mountains there was to start the Biblical Leadership Training Center. And the BLTC was going to train uh, local, that is Russian, pastors and church planters to do that outreach for them, because uh, for them it would have, it would, it was a much uh, less of a transition than it would be for foreign missionaries to come in and go and reach those people groups. And so this was the best thing they could think of to, to reach this area. And that was a very strategic thing. And missionaries, of course, think that way. And that's, that's because missionaries are trying to be obedient to the Great Commission. We have been called in the Great Commission to go and make disciples and baptize and teach. And so missionaries realize that applies to them. But of course, the Great Commission wasn't only given to missionaries. It wasn't just given to this group of missionaries that formed the BLTC or to Steve Bauman or any of the other missionaries that we support and pray for. The Great Commission is for the church. The Great Commission essentially is the marching orders for the church itself. And so, not only missionaries, but we must disciple the nations because Christ has called us to do so. We must disciple the nation since Christ, first of all, has all authority. You look at verse 18 there, which is uh, 18 and following will be the focus of our time today. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So we are to disciple the nation since Jesus has all authority. Maybe when I bring up the idea of authority, that's not a giant concern for us. But as we read through the Gospel of Matthew, you can see that from beginning to end, authority is a major concern. It's a topic that's discussed very often. 
For example, in chapter 8 of Matthew, you have this interaction between a centurion, who is a Gentile, he's a Roman, between this centurion and Jesus. And remember, the centurion had a servant who was sick, and so he comes up to Jesus and he says, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. Well, he's asking Jesus to heal this disciple or this, uh, his servant. And so what does Jesus do? Well, sometimes he responds in different ways, but this time he says, okay, I'll do that. Let's go. Let's go home. But of course, this uh, centurion, he uh, wasn't comfortable with Jesus making that trip for one reason or another. But this is what he says. Only say the word. This is verses eight and verses uh, in verse nine of chapter eight. Only say the word says this centurion, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And I say to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. So this is his response. He says, Jesus, you don't need to come to my house. You don't need to walk all that way, and we don't know what his motivations were or whatever, and it doesn't really matter. But it seems like an odd statement. I, I too am a man under authority, Jesus. So just say the word and it'll be done. But Jesus recognized it for what it was. It wasn't an odd statement that he was making. We read this in verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you with no one in Israel, have I found such faith? This man recognized this Gentile soldier recognized that Jesus had authority He had authority enough to heal, and he had so much authority, he didn't even have to go to where the sick person was to heal him. All he would have to do is say the word. And so this centurion realized and understood the kind of authority that Jesus had, and Jesus' response was, wow, I haven't seen that kind of faith even in Israel. And so the book is about authority it's a it's a it's a theme that is a consistent one through the book and we say first of all that jesus we read in our passage jesus has heavenly authority well what is heavenly authority jesus said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me well if you remember the beginning of the book of matthew which of course is the uh, advent season we just celebrated christmas And we remember that we read these words there, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So from the very beginning in Matthew, when we're introduced to who Jesus is, there's a a great degree of authority. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He calls himself the son of man. He's referred to as the son of man. And he's presented in the book of Matthew as riding on the clouds, which is no small feat. It's a picture from Daniel of the authority of God. He comes riding on the clouds. And so we have this representation of Jesus having this uh, great authority, which doesn't surprise us. He is, after all, God himself. If he's Emmanuel, if he is God with us, He is God in the flesh. And of course, Matthew presents him that way. But as a man, Jesus had chosen to set aside, not to express certain attributes of his deity. For example, he didn't glow when he walked down the street. God radiates glory. 
the Shekinah glory, we call it, and yet Jesus didn't uh, glow when he walked down the street. He set aside certain aspects. He chose not to, to put on display certain aspects of his deity. And so, when Jesus says, all authority in heaven has been given to me, he's saying that those limitations, those things that he had deliberately set aside while in the flesh, he, he no longer has those limitations. He's no longer setting those things aside. All authority is his. He holds sway. His will holds sway in all of heaven. Jesus himself. All authority had been given to him in heaven. But it says all authority in heaven and on earth. And what does authority on earth look like? Well, part of what's being explained here is that his authority is not some idea. It's not some ethereal concept that's out there that has no influence in our lives. It's, it's not uh, a philosophical authority that, that really doesn't matter in the day-to-day world that we live in. His authority isn't just that kind of idea. Jesus is sending his disciples into the world. They're going to go and face real challenges. Remember, they had just seen Jesus himself face persecution that we can't comprehend. They had seen him suffer. They had seen him die. And so his disciples needed some encouragement, I'm sure, because he was saying, you saw me go and you saw me suffer. You're going to go also. And by the way, you're going to suffer. And so he's encouraging them that as they go, they don't need to fear that they will accidentally step into enemy territory. That they will accidentally go somewhere that God does not hold sway. That Jesus himself doesn't have authority. He goes with them. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. I had a good friend in the fifth and sixth grade whose dad was in the military. Actually, his dad was the CEO of the base. And so I would hang out with my friend quite a bit. And I remember one time uh, getting on our bicycles in the middle of summer riding onto the base. Of course, this was 1985, so it's way you know, before 9-11 and all that stuff. But we're on our bikes, and here we are, fifth graders, sixth graders, and we ride onto the base, and he pulls out his ID and shows it. And of course, the guy waves us in. It's no big deal. Uh, but he told me, and I, he, this is what he told me. I don't have any idea, but he said, um, because of my dad's rank, if they read my ID, they have to salute me. And I thought, you know, here I am, a fifth grader, and I'm thinking, that's the weirdest thing in the world. And I didn't understand and don't really understand now. But the point is, the CEO's authority extended even to his children. Not only did it, did it grant us access to the base, but it granted certain other privileges as well. And so we're talking about Jesus' authority, and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is the foundation. This is, this is the, what we are to understand beforehand before we understand the imperatives that we are to go and do those other things. So what's the application for us? So his authority. So Jesus has all authority given to him. So what? Right? Well, our testimony is about our Savior. It's about the all-powerful, all-sufficient God of the universe. So... Be bold in your witness for him. 
Sometimes we, we get the impression that, that we, we have this kind of, you know, sneaky little idea that we're trying to give to people, or perhaps they're going to think that the gospel, those Christians, they're, they're just trying to uh, get something from us, or they're just trying to trick us, or they're just weak-minded people, and, and we kind of take that on sometimes, and we think, well, I'm gonna try and share the gospel with this guy, but he's a pretty smart guy, so I don't know. And Jesus, who is sending us to do this, says, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. All authority has been granted to me. So when you go, Christian, when you are sharing the gospel, go boldly. I don't mean go roughly. I don't mean trample over people. But what I mean is the Jesus you're talking about is the God of the universe. He is the sovereign Lord of all things. And this person that you're sharing the gospel with, however smart they may be, has no authority over you and certainly has no authority over Jesus. And so it can give you a boldness. We must disciple the nations since all authority has been given to Jesus. And we must disciple the nations since Christ has commanded it. So we get into the commission itself. In the beginning of verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. By his command, we are to be a going church. The command here is go. He, he's with his disciples. He has called them to a mountain. We don't know what mountain exactly in Galilee. He's called them to it. They've met there and he's standing there. And it's not hard to imagine that if they looked in the distance, they might see Gentile lands. They might see those nations that are bordering on uh, Galilee and they might even be able to see where they're supposed to go. And Jesus is saying, I have taught you here. I have been with you here. I want you to go there. We are to be a going people. The gospel is to go into those regions because they are to take the gospel into those regions. God is going to use them for that purpose. They are to be a going people. And we are to be a going church. What's a going church? Well, by that I mean one that's invested in taking the gospel to the nations. One that's invested in taking the gospel around the world. You see, we, we're, we're in Fallon America, but we can't just content ourselves to make Fallon America even better. We can't only focus here. We can't focus all of our attention here as if this is our corner of the world. The fact is that as the church, we've been called to go around the planet. Over the last several years, of course, Parkside has invested great resources, great time, great energy and manpower in sending missions around the world. We've always been a missionary supporting church. We have always uh, supported missionaries for as long as we've been around. And, and I don't even know the number in the high teens of missionaries that we support and uh, try to support them generously and, and faithfully to help them in the work that they're doing. But in these last number of years, Parkside has even sent other teams of us regular people to go around the world, to take the gospel to different places because we are to be a going church. We're to go and take the gospel with us. And by the way, just a plug for the state of the church meeting that's coming up in that we talk about the budget. We talk about how money was spent in the past year, and it might be enlightening just to see what portion of our budget goes to missions. It's an encouraging thing. This isn't a pat on the back for us. This is what God has done with Parkside Bible Fellowship, that he has made us to be a going church. 
By his command also we are to be a discipling church. Look at verse 19. It says, go therefore and make disciples. We are to be a discipling church. Jesus had just spent an extended period of time, several years, with his disciples teaching them. And the the purpose of that wasn't just so that he could have the best disciples in the world. The purpose of that was to pass on to them what then they in turn were to pass on to other people. Christianity is an organic faith, meaning it's passed on from person to person. Jesus had spent his ministry years passing on to his disciples what he wanted them to know, teaching them about who he is and about who God is and about what this salvation looks like and teaching them to take that to future generations because we are to be a discipling church. Paul expressed the same idea. You, you know this verse, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. Paul speaking to Timothy, he says this. Timothy being his own disciple, he says this. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So here you have Paul having passed on information, training, teaching, discipling to the second generation, Timothy, who was to pass that on to a third generation, those people he would teach who would then also be able to pass on to a fourth generation. The point being Christianity is to be something that we pass on and pass on to other people. And that's because Christianity is not, a, is not just a creed. It's not, a, it's not an ethic. It's a message for, about a, a Christ who really exists. It's a message about our sin and how God has dealt with that, how God has overcome that situation. It's a message about the problem that exists for every single person. A problem of sin that puts a barrier between them and God. Whether they're conscious of this or not. And that message of salvation in Christ, that message that Jesus took that penalty upon himself so that that bridge might be gapped, uh, that gap might be bridged, that message can be taken to other people. And so our faith is a faith that is to be passed on. We are to be a discipling church. The church is to be a discipling church and that we are to help others grow and deepen in their knowledge and understanding of the Lord, even as we ourselves are growing. And thirdly, by his command, we are to be an all nations church an all nations church. We saw in the book of Acts, we spent last year studying through the book of Acts and there we saw the church begin there in Jerusalem and begin to grow and expand eventually until it went to essentially the corners of the earth. The Holy Spirit was moving, taking the church into all the nations because the church is for all the nations, because salvation is for all the nations. I'll read you a quote here from Revelation chapter 7. Here's a glorious glimpse of heaven. Just picture this. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This gospel promise that, by the way, was made all the way back to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 was even then meant to be for all the families of the earth. And here we have a glimpse in Revelation of that exact thing taking place because God has called to himself 
a people for his own possession from every tribe and people and nation. We are to be an all nations church. I had the privilege in October of being at uh, Well of Salvation Church in Bujumbura, uh, Burundi. And I even got to preach there. And in this church, I, I don't even know all the nations that are represented. But certainly there are Burundians. There are people from Congo. Uh, there are people from uh, Tanzania. There are people from other, uh, other countries in that area. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe Uganda. The point being, these are people from all over the place. And they speak different languages. Or they speak the same language but with very different accents from one another. And so their normal church service, this is a beautiful thing, the, there will be a song sung in Swahili because that's one of the pretty common languages there. And then the next song will be in Kirundi because that's a pretty common language. And some of the Swahili speakers don't understand Kirundi. And some of the, the Kirundi speakers don't understand Swahili. So they figure out how to navigate that together. And by the way, that still doesn't cover everybody. Some people still need French to be able to get around. But this is the point being, this is a church where you have people who have come from all kinds of different nations and it's a glorious and a beautiful thing. And even to see the unity and the harmony within that church, that having distinctions of language, having, having different backgrounds and that kind of stuff is something that they find to be glorifying to God as they, as they live in unity in that kind of a context. That's a church that's committed to taking the gospel to all nations. So what's the application? Jesus commands us to go and make disciples of all nations. So first of all, what can we possibly be doing in our lives that would take precedent over Jesus' commands? Can there be something? I can't think of anything. We must be involved in going and discipling the nations. But, you ask, how can I be involved? I'm just a, I'm just a regular Christian. I'm just a regular Christian. I'm not, I'm not going to sign up and go live overseas. I have a regular job. I have a regular life. Well, the, the fact is not everyone will or should become an overseas missionary. That's true. But how about ministering to your neighbors and maybe leading someone to Christ who then will perhaps become a missionary? Or how about discipling someone and how to walk with Christ. And perhaps that person will be someone who becomes a missionary. Or perhaps they lead someone to Christ who will become a missionary. Or perhaps we give generously to, to, in the support of overseas missions. We pray for our missionaries. We commit to do that. And we be involved as a, an all-nations sending church in that way. These are some of the ways that we as a church and you as an individual can be involved in taking the gospel to all nations. And thirdly, we must disciple the nation since Christ has given us the means to do it. Not only has he told us to do it and said, okay, good luck, figure that out, see if you can come up with a plan, see if you can try and find a way. No, he gave us the means to do that also. Which raises the question, before we get into the remainder of our outline, what, if you ask yourself, what should a church be about? What should a church do? What should they focus on? I mean, there are no shortages of ideas or Opportunities for ministry. What should we keep our eye on? I think we can get some help by looking at the tool belt that Jesus gave to his disciples to accomplish the mission that he gave them. First of all, the first tool, the first means is baptism. Meaning introducing people to Christ. The first means is actual baptism. And we are talking about dunking people 
who are believers under the water in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We're certainly talking about baptism, but we're not only talking about baptism. I think he's talking about leading someone into the Christian life, bringing someone to Christ and and introducing them to who God really is, who Jesus really is, what their need really is. And a part of that process is baptism itself, which is such a glorious picture of Jesus' death for us and us having died with him. And so he's talking, first of all, I believe when he talks about baptism, he's talking about introducing someone to Christ. Notice that the baptism is in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of theology in there. there. My point being, when we lead someone to Christ, they don't just pray a prayer and then that's it, great. We're actually introducing them, teaching them who this Jesus really is, what this gospel is really about, who God really is. So there's some instruction that comes with it. So the first means at our disposal in discipling the, na- the nations is evangelism and baptism that goes with it. And the second means is teaching. Walking with Christ, teaching someone how to walk with Christ. He says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. So if, if, you know, there are two aspects to this command. The first is to baptize and the second is to teach. It should be no surprise that the church is about teaching. And historically, the church has been a teaching church for 2000 years because Jesus told us to do it. And Jesus spent three years teaching his disciples. He taught them numerous things, and you can read about what he taught his disciples in the Gospels. But it's interesting. He says, teaching them to observe or keep or do all that I have commanded you. Did Jesus only teach his disciples what to do? No. He often dealt with misunderstandings about who he is. Or misunderstandings about God and God's relationship with man. Or perhaps misunderstandings about what salvation looks like. He dealt with all manner of topics. He spoke about the end times. Jesus spoke on a lot of topics that weren't just clear commands. Do this, don't do that. And so, is he saying ignore those things? Well, of course not. So what does he mean when he says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you? I think this is, I think this is what, what is meant When he talks about this, Christianity essentially consists of objective truth teaching from God, revealed from God to us. Objective truth, things that are true and real and actual, that's the first part, and therefore what the significance is in our lives. That that is the nature of Christian teaching. And if you take only one of those and divorce it from the other, you run into a problem. If you take only the teaching of the objective truths, the theology, if you, if you take uh, conceptions about who God is and, and these ideas, and, and, but it never goes beyond the whiteboard, then you end up perhaps orthodox in your doctrine, but dead spiritually. Or, on the other hand, if you ignore all that doctrinal gobbledygook, and who really needs theology anyway? Just, just give me what we're supposed to do. If you ignore all this and just, just take what Jesus says to do, then you end up in liberalism. Because it doesn't really matter who Jesus is or what he taught. But it's just the things we're supposed to do. We end up looking like any other ethical system in the world. And so the true teaching of Christ, the true teaching of the Bible, of Christianity, is there are things that are objectively true that we must study and know and understand, and they have implication for our lives. 
We are to do them. And so Jesus says, I want you to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And what's the application for us? Well, the first one is simple. If you're a believer and you've not been baptized, you need to be. That's, a, that's an easy one, a simple one. But what about that? Whether you are a believer and you have been baptized, so what now? Well, the question, I think, is about what do, what do you expect the focus of the church to be? What, what, when you think of uh, a church and what it should be accomplishing, what things populate that list? Well, I want to encourage you, the application from this passage is that there should be two primary things that the church is focusing on. Bringing people to Christ properly and mentoring them in how to walk with Him. Those are the two primary things. Other things are negotiable. Maybe they're a good idea in this context, maybe not. But those two primary things are where we need to keep our eyes focused. Introducing people to Christ properly, that is through baptism and the teaching that goes with that, and teaching them to obey what the Lord has commanded. These are the means that Christ has given us to accomplish the Great Commission. Well, fourthly, we must disciple the nations since Christ has given us His presence. He has given us His presence. First of all, Jesus is God Himself. We already looked at Matthew one twenty three, The baby to be born to you. Uh, his name will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Pretty clear implications to that. But what's interesting is the wording here in verse 20. Look at the second half of verse 20. And behold, I am with you always. It's an interesting statement. What, what did he say in 123? What was his name to be? God with us. And how does the book conclude? I am with you always. There's another, there's another aspect that may be hidden there in the Greek, and that's that uh, there's a, the I am statement which are much more famous in John. It's something that John does. Matthew doesn't really go that direction necessarily. But there's an extra word in there. There's an extra emphasis. Jesus says, I am with you. It's almost like it's an I am statement. The point being Jesus himself is God. And we started the book that way, and we end the book that way. That's called bookends. That means this is a large part of what the book is about. Jesus being God himself. So Jesus is God himself and we never have a moment without him. Look at this. I am with you always. Imagine these nervous disciples. They had just seen everything Jesus went through. They were still pretty shaken. And they were thinking, you know, it was awful seeing Jesus uh, go through all of that. And I'm glad it wasn't me. And then Jesus was saying, okay, go because it's going to be you you might suffer the same things the world hated me it's going to hate you too and they might have been concerned and how could jesus encourage them he says i am with you always i am with you always even through suffering even through hardship even through uncertainty even through those difficult times that you're fearing right now I am with you always. And Christian, he is with you always now. There's never a moment without him. In Christianity, we follow a God we can't see or touch. But he's not an idea. He's not a concept. He's not a philosophy. He's not, a, he's not an ethic. 
He's real. He's alive. And he is really with you always. So there's never a moment without him. But then there's, he, he says more than that. He says, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so I've interpreted that to mean there's never a time without him. Because the disciples, though they were shaken in their boots, though they had seen what was going on, though they were being sent, they were being given this commission, they were standing on the mountain in Galilee, looking and watching, and they were nervous. And Jesus says, I am with you always. But he doesn't stop there. He says, even to the end of the age. Because those disciples, they had seen the miracles. They had been with Jesus. They had touched him. When he fed the 5,000, they got to eat too. They had tasted it. They had been there. The, for these people, and for these people only, Christianity was less about faith because they had seen and known and touched and held. They could verify. I walked with him. He was dead. He's alive. But for everyone else, for the rest of us, we haven't seen him. We didn't, we didn't get to eat the loaves and fish. We haven't seen the miracles. We didn't see what he did. And not only that, but it seems like the church is operating perhaps with less power nowadays. Maybe, maybe something's changed. Maybe there's a dispersal of energy and we're no, the church isn't as effective as it used to be because God's not working now. Maybe, maybe, uh, you know, Jesus isn't really doing the stuff he used to do. Maybe Jesus really isn't with us. The church, there is never a time when we are without him. There is never a, a, a moment in history. There is never a time period in history where Jesus is not with his church. He is with us. And we may not see the miracles and we may not see the things that the disciples got to see. But that's because Jesus has decided not to do them. He is still in charge and he is still with us even to the end of the age. We didn't outlive the powerful working of Jesus. He's still at work even now. Authority is a powerful thing. And Jesus said, I have all authority and I'm going with you. That's comforting. If you've ever been overseas, been there for any, any period of time, it's weird to live under uh, this, the sovereign rule of another nation. It's a weird thing. And boy, it is glorious to walk into the embassy. The USA today is laying on the table. <laughs> you know, it feels so good to be in the place where your home nation is sovereign. We, we don't have to go to an embassy to find our sovereign Jesus. He is with us even to the end of the age. No matter what you're suffering, no matter what difficulty you face, Here's the application. You are never alone. You are never without Christ, Christian. And when you're sharing the gospel with someone, you are never alone. If you are at work discipling the nations, if you are testifying to Christ, you have His authoritative presence with you always. And so, you can take courage. And you can act with boldness and courage in whatever that situation is. Because He has all authority. And he goes with you, and he is with you always, even to the end of the age. I started our message today talking about this missionary school in southern Russia, the BLTC. That's the reason my family and I moved there, was to work with that school. And it was in Russia, and it was all, you know, it's a missionary idea and concept school, kind of seems kind of far away. 
Those commands aren't just for people who are going to move overseas and learn a different language. To go and take the gospel literally to the nations around the world. This command, the the great commission is for you and for me also. We are to go into our world and we are to make disciples of those around us in exactly the same ways. And this is our role as a church to be a disciple-making, going church, baptizing and teaching. We need to be focused on bringing unbelievers into the kingdom, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And we are to teach them how to walk with Christ and observe all that He commanded. These are the things that we are to be about. And so this is a challenge for us as a church because this is to be our focus as a church. And this is a challenge for us as individual Christians because this is to be our focus as Christians as well. And so the challenge for us at the end of the day is to take these words and see that they apply to us as well. That we are to go. We are to disciple the nations. Baptizing and teaching. Knowing that all authority is in Jesus' hands, in heaven and on earth. And He is with us. Never to leave us. And so my prayer for me and my prayer for us is is that this will spur us on to be a going church. I'm excited about the evangelism class that we have going on. I'm excited about the challenge and some instruction in, in why to evangelize and in how to evangelize. Because we are to be a people who go. I'm also encouraged and I pray that we will take on that charge of being a disciple-making church. That we would not be a receiving church only. But that we would in turn lead others and train others and mentor others in how to walk with Christ. So that's my prayer for us this morning. This is the role of the church. And Christian, this is the role of the Christian. This commission wasn't just for these people back then. This is for for us today. And so I pray that God would burn that into our hearts, that we would have that desire to walk in obedience that way, and that we would carry out that great commission, even here in Fallon and wherever we go. Let's pray together. Father, this is called the Great Commission for good reason. Not only are these the last words Jesus spoke to his disciples in this gospel, but the themes are great. We're talking about evangelizing the world, taking the gospel everywhere. The task is too great for us, frankly. It's too great for me, and I, I get overwhelmed thinking about it, and I'm probably not alone. And so I praise you for those words Jesus said at the beginning and the end of it. We don't go into a place where uh, we're trying to uh, sneak in and we're on dangerous footing, enemy territory, but instead all authority in heaven and on earth is in Jesus' hands. And he is with us. So make us bold, Lord. Make us bold. Help us to step out and be willing to talk to that person about the gospel, who that person who's perhaps smarter than us or perhaps they're uh, louder uh, than us. Perhaps they're going to shout us down. Perhaps Maybe we're just afraid of what they're going to think. Help us to be focused 
ongoing and discipling the nations. And Father, we are encouraged that Jesus, who has all authority, is with us. So Father, I pray for your blessing on us as we go forth into our corner of the world here. May we be a going and discipling people. May we be bold with the gospel. May we realize that salvation really is for all the nations. And so the gospel is for all the nations. Father, thank you for uh, this word. Thank you for Jesus' presence, that we never go alone. So, Father, we love you, and we bless you, and we thank you. We pray in Jesus' mighty and authoritative name. Amen.